Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from the middle of the North Sea outside of the UK and Scotland. Yes, welcome to a very special episode of Speak a Dogcast. I brought you guys on vacation with me, uh, and this is the second episode that we've been recording aboard a cruise ship. Yes, I'm aboard a cruise ship, so if you do hear some noises, you're definitely going to hear the engine noise in the background as we are moving right now. If you're watching on my YouTube once I get this loaded up, I don't think I'll be able to get this episode or the last one loaded up until I get back from vacation on the YouTube, but you'll check it out and you'll see this beautiful, beautiful view behind me of the North Sea. So yes, it's a very special episode. Couldn't get all of my episodes recorded before I left. It was a little crazy, a little hectic, ran into some issues. Uh, so I brought you all on, on vacation with me and we're doing a special podcast uh, located aboard the cruise ship. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you for coming back here again. Now you guys can also find me on Instagram at speakadogcast. We'll get some more great content once I get back into the States going up there, of course. Now you can also find my YouTube channel at Speak a Dogcast as well, if the visual thing is more your thing. And if you guys want to support the podcast even more, you can go ahead and head on over to patreon.com, subscribe to the show, become a patron of the show today. Yes, get even more great dog training content coming your way. Now in today's episode, it's never too late. That's right, it's never too late to start training your dog. We're gonna talk about how we go about doing that, understanding how to recondition behaviors as dog, uh, dogs get older. Then comes dogs, humans, and food. I get a lot of questions about it, right? Can I feed my dogs people food? What dog food should I feed my dog? All different kind of things that go along with food and dogs and the correlation and maybe what my thoughts are. <laughs> then we have the history of animal mascots 101. And we will actually be skipping the Q&A, the listener Q&A again this week. It's, it's been a little difficult to get emails and such and information. So we'll get back to the Q&A once I get back to the States next week and back from my wonderful vacation. It has been a wonderful time. We've really enjoyed ourselves over here in the United Kingdom. We've been in Ireland in Scotland, went over to the uh, British Open, or the Open, uh, over in Liverpool, so it was just fantastic. We've been having a wonderful, wonderful time, and um, can't wait to get home, though, ready to be home. I mean, I could stay here for a while longer, but, you know, I miss my dogs, so we're going to get home to them next week, and we'll be back in the studio of Speak a Dogcast the following week. Yes, now before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question, and today's question is going to be, well, a little bit UK-related, yes, today's question is, what dog breed is considered the first dog breed bred in the United Kingdom. Yes, what breed of dog was first bred in the United Kingdom? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's never too late. It is never too late. It's never too late to train your dogs, guys. It, it Look, it's no different than a human being in the sense that conditioning is conditioning and that the more set in our own ways that we get, the harder it is to undo those patterns, right? Um, how hard is it, is it to get grandma to change her way, right? <laughs> like, it could take a little while. Um, and so it's no different with our dogs. The longer that they pattern and condition a behavior, the harder it is to undo. The good news is, is that dogs are easier than humans, right? We, we, you know, I always say, look, animals, all animals have emotions, don't deny that. But the difference between a human and most basic animals is the fact that animals don't have an emotional attachment to their emotions, and humans do, right? So it does make it easier to undo behaviors from the simple standpoint that an animal is going to be more basic than a person. And it's once again, this kind of humanizing factor where we all go, oh, the dog's too old to train him because that's how we are. But the reality is, dogs are trainable, even at an older age. Is it going to be harder than training a puppy? Is it going to take longer than training a puppy? Sure. 
but it's not impossible. You know, one of the most basic examples that I give is I had uh, a dog years ago, and my wife and I, we adopted him at nine years old. And he was a half lab, half St. Bernard, very big dog, very big bladder. <laughs> and he was never housebroken uh, before we adopted him. He had never been fully housebroken. And if he really needed to go, he would. And we'd have a giant puddle in our house. So I said, we're going to we're going to fix this. <laughs> we're going to change this behavior. And I'll be I, look, it, it took three months. It took 90 days to housebreak this dog because he was nine years old and had spent that amount of time not being housebroken, but amazingly, I mean, not amazingly, but amazingly, we did housebreak him. He lived to be, I believe, 12 and a half, if I remember correctly. So quite a few years later that we had him and he was able to hold it for eight hours. You know, he held it overnight, no problem. If we needed to leave for quite a few hours and come back, it wasn't an issue. Um, so that's the first example. And then, you know, that's something easy like housebreaking. But what about aggression? What about barking? What about all these other things? And I have another, my, one of my favorite examples that I always like to give because she's one of my favorite dogs. She always sticks sticks out in my mind, um, Betty. And I did a segment on Betty a long time ago. <laughs> I think we were maybe like in the 20s, episode 20 something still, uh, when I talked about Betty last. But Betty was a mixed breed. And at eight years old, she had some pretty severe aggression issues. I mean, really, it was not, it was not fun stuff to deal with at first. And it took a long time. It did. It took a lot of training, a lot of work, a lot of consistency. But we were able to fix most of Betty's issues. I mean, we made her behavior more manageable to a point that people could actually approach and pet her. And that was never an option, even even close to being on the table when I first started working with her. Um, she really didn't like people she didn't know. And she was quick quick to, to, to make that decision. It was a zero to 60 kind of thing. And this was an eight-year-old dog. Again, it took a lot of training, it took a lot of time and consistency, but we were able to change those behaviors and make her a much more manageable dog. Um, so when we talk about dogs that are older and it's, oh, it's too late, it's never too late, guys. It is never too late to change some of these behaviors. Now, I'm a realist and I want to have realistic expectations. So when I do say changing a behavior and then I say the word like manageable, there is some truth in this and that not every dog is going to do that 180, okay? We've got to be realistic about these things in the sense that not every dog is just going to do a complete 180 in their behavior and be a completely different dog. But what I can tell you is with 100% certainty, if you put in time, if you put in effort, you can at least make these, man, uh, these behaviors manageable. Now, one of the ones I get, I think that I hear more than anything, it's funny because it's kind of influenced today's segment I met somebody on the ship, I met somebody on this trip, and he was telling me about his dog, and he's a little dog, and it's yappy, right? Isn't that the, <laughs> I have a little yappy dog. And, you know, he said, oh, we didn't train her, and it was poorly trained, and, and we never, you know, and she's just yappy, but it's too late now. And I said, oh, there it is. And my wife looks at me and goes, there's the name of the segment this week, it's never too late. Um, and so, sure enough, you know, that's what um, started this topic today. And that's the thing is I told him, I said, oh, no, it's never too late. Listen to the podcast. Uh, you know, it's never too late to start training your dog. It's never too late to put in the time and put in the effort. You will be surprised. This is, again, this is what makes dogs unique, at least compared to humans, in the sense that they can change. Dogs don't live in the past, right? Your dog isn't like thinking, oh, seven years ago, you know, this one guy I didn't like came up to me, approached me, and I started yapping my head off of him, and that's where the behavior started. And they're constantly thinking back to that seven years ago. It's not quite how it works. You know, I tell people dogs don't live in the past. They don't live in the future. They live in the moment, the here and now. And so that's why we can change their behaviors. That's sort of that like, 
if you think about it, if 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 you as a person, if you're hanging on to something from seven years ago, if you're hanging on to some particular thing that happened, you constantly are are on it. That's that emotional baggage. That's that emotional attachment to your emotional experience. And the thing is, dogs don't have an emotional experience in the same way that you or I do. They just don't, guys. If they did, we'd call them people and not dogs. It's pretty simplistic when you think about it. A dog's brain is not going to function. It's not going to be wired. It's not going to go through the same processes as you or I. So people will often say, well, David, okay, if they don't think about that from seven years ago, if they're not constantly thinking about it, how do they remember? Well, memory and conditioned experiences are different from an emotional attachment, right? They're very distinct things. It's not to say a dog doesn't learn from their past because every animal, every animal on this planet, we learn from our experiences, uh, whether they be good experiences or bad, a traumatizing experience or a wonderful experience, we base our, our lives on past experiences. But think about this. People who get stuck in those past experiences, right? What happens? Maybe anxiety or depression or we get stuck with this emotional, mm. so dogs don't have that like we just talked about, but instead they base their um, their current situations on past experiences like you or I do. So it's a pattern. It's really simplistic conditioning, okay? So we can undo these things for the simple fact that it's a conditioned behavior. It's not like, oh, I'm thinking about this thing from seven years ago. It's the behavior adds up to the dog goes, all right, let's see, this person walked up to me who I didn't like. I went, woof, 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 they went away. Oh, good, that worked for me. I'll do that again. That's the end of it. They're not going back to that experience and going, oh, here's this person. Oh, I remember that guy. I didn't like him. He was kind of tall, had blonde hair. I really didn't care for him. And I, It's much more simplistic than that. It's this barking got something uncomfortable I don't like to go away, so I'm going to do it again. That's it. So if I can condition that in a different way and teach the dog, hey, look, barking doesn't make that person go away anymore. All of a sudden your barking isn't working, okay? It, then we start to change the process of what that conditioned behavior is. But if we don't spend time reconditioning it, if we don't spend time working through it and showing them the behavior that they're throwing out doesn't work, and instead we want them to do a different behavior and then we strengthen and reinforce that behavior, that's why your dog still yaps at everybody, right, incessantly. So we have to think about this from the behavioral standpoint, from the conditioning standpoint on, well, look, we've talked about it before, right? We have reinforcement, we have punishment. Reinforcement is going to increase uh, behavior and punishment's going to decrease behavior. And if a dog, again, let's just look at the example, if a dog goes woof, woof, woof in an attempt to get something to go away, and sure enough, that something goes away, well, what's that dog gonna do again? Woof, 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 <laughs> right? And I think that's one of the most common ones we hear. We're like, oh, my dog's eight years old. They barked at every, it's been such a yapper for eight years. It'll never change. Well, it'll only never change if you don't recondition it, right? But if all of a sudden, that yap, yap, yap doesn't work for your dog anymore, and we continually do that over and over, and the dog understands this doesn't work for me anymore, well, then your dog's not gonna keep doing it. It's that simple. The only reason an animal, any animal on this planet, the only reason animals continue behavior is because they get something out of it. It gets reinforced, it gets strengthened, right? So if the behavior is no longer strengthened, it's weakened, and if it's weakened, it's punished. And if it's punished, it's going to decrease, right? That simple, it really is that simple, all right? So we have to go back to our basics. If we wanna change an older dog, if we wanna change a dog who maybe uh, spent the first few years of their life not doing the right things, we can do it. Now, this is also the time that I recommend hiring a professional, find somebody in your area, whatever you wanna do, um, call somebody to give you the right information because it's key, right? If we don't understand 
what your dog views as reinforcement, what your dog views as punishment, then it's going to be difficult to apply those concepts to, well, punish and reinforce behaviors, right? Um, also, you can go back and check out all my awesome segments on positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, punishment, uh, dog psychology 101, all kinds of great segments that we have uh, that you can check out that has all this wonderful information that you can apply with your own dog, all right? But simply put, again, we have to look at it very, very simply and very basic. The dog is trying to get some, you know, they're barking, they want something to go away. If I let that work, I'm strengthening that behavior, all right? So I can hear it now, well, David, how do I get him to just stop barking? How do I make my dog understand uh, this is a punishment or something is a punishment, right? And how do I get them to decrease that behavior? This is where motivation comes into play, okay? And this is why I recommend potentially, you know, maybe call it a professional, because you have to be able to not only know the concepts of punishment and reinforcement, but you have to be able to look at it and go, well, what's my dog trying, what is their motivation right now? What are they trying to accomplish, okay? By barking, by growling, by jumping on me, by yapping, by whatever behavior you have, you kind of have to step back from the scenario and go, all right, what, what does Fluffy want right now? What is Fluffy trying to get out of the situation? And once you answer that, now you can know what punishment and reinforcement are because it's going to be different to every dog in every scenario, right? Um, we've talked about it before. We're like, let's say we have a dog yapping. Let's say the same scenario, but different motivation. Let's say my dog is barking. We're out on a walk and they're barking because they see their best friend down the street. Their best friend dog uh, is down the street and they're woof, 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 woof because they want to get to the dog, right? Barking doesn't always mean avoidance. Uh, barking doesn't always mean I want you to go away. Barking can be pure excitement. And so in that scenario, I have to go, well, they're not trying to get that dog to go away. They want to get closer to that dog. And so the yapping is actually overexcitement in an attempt to get to the other dog. So guess what I'm not going to do? Keep walking toward that dog, right? Think about it. If you want the barking to stop and your dog's motivation is to get toward that other dog, if you keep moving toward that other dog and your dog keeps barking, you're actually passively reinforcing that behavior. Well, actively and passively for that matter. Uh, we're not going to get into that. So... We have to be able to look at it and go, well, what's this dog's motivation? Am I reinforcing that motivation? And if I am, well, I better stop. <laughs> I better redirect that behavior. I better punish that behavior. So David, what's a punishment in this moment, right? I can hear, well, okay, let's go through it. My dog's barking, they're pulling me toward another dog and I don't want that behavior. Their motivation is to get to the other dog. So the last thing I wanna do is keep moving toward that dog. So what would a punishment be? Walk in the opposite direction from that dog, right? Again, think about it very basic. My dog wants to get to this dog. If I keep moving toward it, I'm strengthening the behavior and reinforcing it. But if I walk away and show my dog, hey, barking doesn't get you closer to that dog. As a matter of fact, barking gets you further away. Oh, there we go. So let's say I walk away and all of a sudden my dog stops barking. Guess what I'm going to do? Turn around and walk back toward that other dog they want to say hi to again. As long as they're controlled, as long as they're focused, and more import most importantly, right, if they're not barking, we keep walking toward that dog. And now all of a sudden the dog goes, oh, okay. I bark, we go away from what I want. I stop barking, we go toward what I want. Reinforcement, punishment. Notice there's no treats in this scenario so far, right? We can pull out treats, but I'm keeping it really simple here. So what we're relying on is punishment and negative reinforcement and a bit of positive reinforcement. The punishment being walking away from the dog. The negative reinforcement is we walk back toward the dog once the dog stops barking. And then the positive reinforcement is continuing to move toward that dog, getting closer. We're adding the stimulus of that dog to reinforce the not barking calm behavior. Okay. 
I know this stuff seems kind of tricky and complicated sometimes, and in some ways it is. And at this, at the, at the other end of it, it's also really not. <laughs> okay, punishment and reinforcement are very simplistic concepts. And the amazing thing is, it doesn't matter how old your dog is. This stuff applies all the time. The only difference is the undesired behaviors with a two-year-old dog versus an eight-year-old dog are going to be so much more strengthened that it's been reinforced for eight years as opposed to two years, right? So it's no different with ourselves in the conditioning. You know, look, I, I always give the example of brushing teeth. Why do you brush your teeth every day? Why do you do it? Because there is a very bad consequence that comes along with not brushing your teeth, such as number one, having to go to the dentist, who wants to do that? Uh, and number two, heart disease, all the all these other things that we have discovered that are uh, cor that correlate directly to poor health of your teeth. So something as simple as brushing your teeth, you do it every day because you get passively reinforced for it, right? So if you can start understanding these concepts even for how they work for ourselves, it makes it easier sometimes to apply it to your dog. Um, but always stick by my mantra, K-I-S-S, -S, keep it simple, stupid, let's not overcomplicate it, let's look at it really basic and go, all right, I have eight-year-old Fluffy here, eight-year-old Fluffy has been barking its head off at this one scenario for eight years. How can I change it? How can I punish that behavior? How can I redirect that behavior? What's my dog's motivation? How do, what's, what strengthens it? What weakens it? And if you start thinking in terms of that as opposed to, oh, Fluffy's just barking again, that's just Fluffy, that's just what Fluffy does. No, it's not. It's what you've let Fluffy do. It is what you have passively reinforced for eight years with Fluffy. Everyone thinks that's just Fluffy, that's just Fluffy. It's not, guys. It's what you've reinforced and punished or have not reinforced and have not punished. It's very important to understand to take responsibility for your dog's behaviors, right? It's not always fun. You have to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and go, maybe I didn't do this right, but it's okay. I'm here to tell you it's okay because it's never too late to start training your dog. So if you need to, absolutely reach out to a professional, ask for some professional advice, go back and listen to some of my podcast episodes and some of the basics of, of psychology and start asking What's the motivation behind Fluffy's behavior as opposed to, well, that's just Fluffy, right? I'm telling you guys, get out there, apply the information correctly, and it's never too late to train your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, dogs, humans, and food. It's definitely a common question, right? It is. What should I feed my dog? Should I feed my, can I feed my dog people food? Can I give them a little piece here, a little piece there? Can I get my dog's pup cups? Can they have this? Can they have that? It's very important to understand what's good for your dogs and what's not good for your dogs. And you know, the first thing we're gonna talk about is a little bit about dog food. Now, I'm not a veterinarian. 
I am not a nutritionist, I am not a nutrition specialist. And you'll actually discover that most veterinarians will even tell you they're not nutritionists, they're not nutrition specialists. And it may not be um, something that they're going to spend a lot of time researching for the simple fact that they don't have time. <laughs> you know, a veterinarian's job is to keep your dog healthy. And while yes, nutrition is an important part of it, um, they have to spend a lot of time on all the other stuff, the vaccines, the surgeries, all, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of information. And so, look, even doctors in the human world, there are doctors, family practice doctors, they're gonna tell you, I'm not a nutritionist. I can give you the general idea of what you need to be a healthy person, but they're not a nutrition specialist. And it's the same thing in the dog veterinary world, the dog medicine world. Um, so a lot of veterinarians are going to rely, as they should, on good research being done by third-party companies that research dog food. And so it's very interesting that most of you, when you walk into your, veterinary, uh, your veterinarian's office, for the most part, you're going to see at least one of three brands of dog food. You are. You're either gonna see scientific, uh, Science Diet, right? You're gonna find Science Diet, you're gonna find Purina Pro Plan, or you're gonna find Royal Canin. Those happen to be the three most researched brands of dog food by third-party companies, independent research that is done on these dog foods. And so again, this is why you're going to see those in your vet's office, right? Is that to say that's what you have to feed your dog? Is that to say that everything else on the market is crap? No. Uh, now again, I, just to reiterate, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dog nutritionist. I focus on the psychology side, so I'm not an expert in the in the in this field. Uh, at the same time, I like to do my reading, my research, talk to veterinarians, and see what they like and what the consensus is. Again, consensus consensus I have found is going going to be for the most part, excuse me, those three brands, right? So there are a lot of other good dog foods on the market, but one thing I want to talk about in particular is the grain-free fad. I admit, it drew me in at first when it first came out years ago. Uh, I didn't know as much as I do now. And guys, grain-free for your dogs, you know, there have been a lot of studies that have said it's not so good. There actually has been a correlation with grain-free foods and cardiomyopathy, right? A heart condition for your dog can be really bad stuff, and they have definitely seen this correlation. Because here's the thing, guys, dogs are not grain-free. They're dogs. They actually are supposed to naturally have some grain in their diet, right? So... To sit here and say we should have grain-free food is just not true. And yes, there are going to be some dogs out there that may actually have an allergy to grain, but guys, we're talking like 90-something percent of dogs out there that should not be on a grain-free diet. My dogs are not on grain-free dog food, and I recommend my clients not put their dogs on grain-free dog food, okay? It's one of these fads. It's one of these marketing things. People don't like to recognize the reality of it that the dog industry is a very, very lucrative industry. And that usually means marketing and putting things out there that may not be the best thing for your dog. And as much as a dog owner, we go, God, how can they do that? Guys, look what they do to us. Look at the food and crap that's being given to us. Um, so it's really, unfortunately, no surprise. It's no surprise that there's been marketing and all these things done to try to push, 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 and just make money. So do your own research, talk to your veterinarian. I highly recommend it because you're going to discover uh, and you're going to talk to them and discover that grain-free is not necessarily what you should be feeding your dog, all right? So food for thought on the grain-free. Um, now, with that said, look, I usually recommend, and again, not a nutritionist, but I usually recommend one of the three brands that vets are selling. I do. It's what I tend to do. It's what I know the most about. Um, and my dogs are on one of those three brands as well. So... Teach his own on that to some degree at the same time it is nutrition. Do your research, talk to your vets, you gotta do what you gotta do to try to feed your dog the best they can. Other thing, 
this this oh this raw diet fat is making me crazy raw diets guys stop feeding your dogs raw oh david i've had my dog in a ride oh, blah 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 great that's wonderful you are risking giving your dog salmonella you are risking giving your dog nutritional deficiency and i am not on board well i sprinkle vitamins on guys dogs aren't meant to have vitamins sprinkle like they're not meant to eat the dry dog food either for that matter um but it's better than raw, raw diet, okay? I have yet to meet a veterinarian, a true veterinarian, that recommends a raw diet. Anybody, anybody out there? No, because it's not healthy. Uh, some of you guys might remember quite a while back, I had Dr. Lyle uh, from the Stuart Sound Animal Hospital on my show as a guest, and we talked about this. We had a whole segment on, on feeding dogs and raw diets and grain-free and all this kind of stuff, and she absolutely was 100% adamant, you should not be feeding your dogs raw diets. It's not, I don't care what Instagram says. I don't care what people are telling you on Instagram that they've been feeding. Whoop-de-doo, guys. It's Instagram. It's the internet. How much truth is there? For all you know, they're actually feeding their dog dry kibble as well, and you don't even know it because they don't show you that. So please don't listen to Instagram. Please don't listen to Facebook. Go talk to your veterinarian about your pet's nutritional needs. All right? All right. Enough said about that. Let's talk about people food. <laughs> first thing first, I just don't get why people want to constantly feed their dogs people food because it would annoy the crap out of me to have my dogs constantly looking for food for me, drooling on the floor every time I eat. Oh, it's so cute. Is it? No. Um, <laughs> I don't want to be pestered by my dogs every time I sit down to have a meal. And we're not. My dogs leave us alone. People wouldn't believe it that I could eat a hamburger sitting on my couch if I wanted to on my lap. We've done this. We do this to... to you know, train and to test, and my dogs won't touch it, okay? They won't. Now, sure, the noses sometimes go, you say, leave it, and that's the end of it, all right? My dogs don't beg for food. We don't really feed our dogs people food, and it's not a, I don't, it's not 100%, right? It's not like I don't give them anything. I like to give them sometimes pieces of bananas, fruit, things that are good for them in that sense. On a rare occasion, they get a tiny piece of bacon, but you know what? It's about context of the situation, right? If my dog is sitting and begging me, which they don't, but if they did, they were not gonna get a darn thing. I'm not gonna give them anything, okay? I wait for them to be asleep on the couch and that's when I might go sneak a tiny piece of bacon. My dogs do get a tiny piece of cheese to take medications every day after their meal and that's about it, okay? Dogs don't need people food to be happy. They don't, they, they, they don't, right? Think about all our food, guys, what we eat and I, look, Honesty, right? Come on, be honest with yourselves. How many of us out there don't eat the healthiest? If that food is bad for us, imagine how bad it is for your dog. Your dog is smaller. They're not built the same way we are. Sure, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, there was no kibble to feed your dogs, and we fed them scraps and things. But guys, we were eating better 100, 200 years ago. We were eating more natural food, things that weren't loaded up with sodium and salt uh, and, and all these um, you know, fake sweeteners and all this kind of crap that's already bad enough for us. Imagine what it's doing to your dog's insides. Years ago, we knew somebody who fed their teacup chihuahua a full Chick-fil-A meal. Nuggets, sauce, fries, and all. Teacup chihuahua, guys. Can you even comprehend what that dog's insides must have been doing? I mean, <laughs> I feel bad for the dog. Um, so to me, I don't want to give my dog diarrhea. I don't want to give my dog loose poop. I've had that where people go, I don't know why my dog's poop is loose. And I go, well, what do you feed him? Well, I don't feed him any people food. You don't feed them any people food? Are you sure? No. I mean, well, we drop things on the ground and they get Guys, if you drop a piece of food on the ground you're f and you let your dog eat it, 
you're feeding your dogs people food. <laughs> it amazes me that people can't understand. Well, it's only when I drop something. Well, how often do you drop food every day? Well, yeah. So you're feeding your dog people food 365 days a year, but you don't feed your dog people food, right? <laughs> give me a break. Like, give me a break. When we drop people food, you know what I say? Leave it. And I reach down and pick up the piece of food and throw it away because my dogs don't eat that much people food. It's very rare they get any of it. All right. So and people, oh, you're so mean. Really? My dogs have the, the best dog life ever. And you're seriously calling me mean? Okay, because I don't want to feed them people food and things that are horrible for them. And I don't want to give them diarrhea and digestive issues. That makes me mean. Okay. <laughs> so you've got to be realistic about this guys i it's it be realistic do you feed your dog people food and if you do you have to go well does my dog have digestion they do yeah they do have loose poop a couple times a week do you want to feel like that do you want your digestive tract to feel like that five to six days a week i think you know the answer so Think about this when you're feeding or dropping, feeding your dog people food as you drop something on the ground. Come on, guys. Like, get real. <laughs> pup cups. I'm not a fan of pup cups. Look, you want to feed your dog a doggy ice cream, something that's made for them, a fun dog treat that you bought at the boutique pet store. Sure. In moderation, to each his own. Uh, my dogs get treats, but they don't get them every day. They just, they don't. Um, I don't want them to be fat. I don't want them to have too much of a bad thing. Just like I'm not feeding myself ice cream seven days a week. Uh, it's not good, right? It's not good for you and it's not good for them. So pup cups, dairy, right? Come on guys, dairy's not good for dogs. Like if dairy was good for dogs, don't you think we'd be putting it in their kibble? I know people that go seven days a week to Starbucks, which, number one, you're spending a ton of money on coffee. I don't get that. Uh, don't get me wrong. I like a Starbucks every now and then. but And they get their dogs these pup cups seven days a week. And this dog is just slurping down whipped cream like it's their food. You know, I, I'm sorry. I just, I don't really understand that. I really don't. Now, again, little piece of human food here, little piece of human food there. Sure. You know, there, there's nothing wrong. In my opinion, with most things in life, it's all about moderation, right? It's all about balance. And so if you can create that balance for you and your dog, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. I, I'm not like trying to be mean here and shut it all down. But the reality is majority of people give their dogs way too many treats, way too much people food, right? So that's really what I'm talking. About. So if you wanted to give your dog a little something, here's my recommendation. Just like I said, when I sometimes give my dogs a little piece of bacon, it's usually an hour after we've eaten and they're asleep on the couch and I go and give them each a little tiny piece. No big deal. You know why? Because they're not bugging me. They're not begging for it. And also, I'm not having my meal time. Because if I eat my meals and every single time I eat my meals, I give my dogs people food, they're going to expect it. But if I kind of separate not mealtime, not, you know, it's not time for us to eat and we're not making that correlation of every time I eat, you get something to eat. It doesn't work that way. Then they don't beg. They're not expecting it. And it becomes a better treat uh, option doing it that way. So I would recommend waiting, putting a little something aside of the food that you want to give to your dog, a little something, put it to the side and give it to him an hour after you've eaten. That way there's no correlation. And one other thing you can do, uh, put the food in their food bowl. That way, again, they're not associating the table or where, or the kitchen or what have you. They're not making that association of people food, kitchen, people food, dining room table. Instead, it's food only comes from my dog bowl. 
Now, like I said, you can give them a little peace when they're not paying attention, when they're asleep, when they're not engaged, that's fine. But you can eliminate having to worry about that altogether by only giving them any kind of food in their dog bowl, right? So food for thought, <laughs> something to think about. I highly recommend when it comes to nutrition and basic nutritional needs with your dogs, number one, I highly recommend you avoid grain-free and you highly, I highly recommend you avoid the raw diets. I think it's bad stuff. Veterinarians agree with me on this. This is not my level of expertise, but it is something that I at least know a little something about. So I'd recommend avoiding those two things. And when it comes to your dog food, my personal option is to go to the most researched brands of dog foods on the market. Those do tend to be the Royal Canin, Science Diet, and Purina Pro Plan. And that's why you're going to see those foods at your vet veterinarian's office. Um, then when it comes to people food, guys, look, it's all about moderation. It really is. Personally, I don't like my, I don't like dogs begging and pestering when we're eating food. So if you create moderation and you only do it every now and then as a fun treat, it becomes more manageable. Um, when it comes to other things, though, like dairy, like a heavy, we're talking like heavy whipped cream, a little piece of cheese for a medication like I do, that's not going to harm my dog's digestive system, a little tiny thing. But if I'm giving them a whole cup of whipped cream and they're eating really heavy dairy, cream, milk, um, it can be bad for them, guys. I don't know why people like giving their dogs diarrhea. I really don't get it. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want my dogs to feel that way. And I hope you guys feel the same. So just take that into consideration. Always remember it's about moderation and try to not associate that eating time with food. And then, hey, people, food, dogs, we can find the balance. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of animal mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Georgia. Now, the University of Georgia was chartered in 1785, and it is one of the oldest public universities in the United States and the flagship school of the university uh, system of Georgia. Now, the Georgia mascot is one of the most popular and one of the most well-known mascots in all of collegiate sports, and for a darn good reason. Yes, that's because he is an adorable white bulldog. Yes, the Georgia Bulldogs, everyone knows him, everyone loves him. Look, even us Gator fans, we like to admire him. I'm not gonna lie, if I'm walking by Ugga, I'm gonna go over and pet him. Yes, that's his name, his name is Ugga. Very fitting, U-G-A, University of Georgia, abbreviated, makes the dog's name Ugga, which I, I love, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I don't love Georgia, but I love the Georgia Bulldog. I can't help it. I don't love the Georgia Bulldogs, let's make that distinction. I just love the Bulldog. <laughs> I would never hear the end of it for my family and friends. All right, so there have now been 11 Uggas over the years, and the dogs are numbered, starting with Ugga 1, and we are now on Ugga 11. And now the previous nine Uggas, really cool. They're actually buried at the stadium in marble vaults at the entrance of the main gate in the embankment of the South Stands. Really cool. Every home game, flowers and gifts are placed on their graves. Um, you know, visitors, hundreds of visitors every year that come by at the beginning of the home games and give their tribute to all the Uggas from over the years. Now, the Bulldog has not always been the mascot of the University of Georgia. In fact, the first mascot to represent the team was a goat. <laughs> yes, kind of a popular one we're going to find out over the years among colleges in the U.S. Now, the goat made his first appearance at a football game, the first football game of the season on February 22nd, 1892 versus Auburn University. Newspaper clippings showed the goat wearing a black coat with the letters U and G on each side. He also wore a hat with ribbons coming down from his horns, black and red ribbons, of course. And during the game, Auburn fans kept yelling, 
shoot the billy goat. <laughs> friendly rivalry. Mm, not so friendly. Now, from 1944 to 1955, there were actually a variety of animals brought in to represent the team. And during these years, well, a few bulldogs had popped up from time to time, and one of the most famous being Butch. And Butch was a brindled English bulldog. Now, he was owned by Mabry Smith of Warner Robins, uh, Georgia, and Smith agreed to put Butch on loan to the university. Butch was then succeeded by Mike, who served as the mascot from 1951 until 1955 when he died of natural causes. Then in 1956, the very first Ugga came about into the picture, and it started the line of all white bulldogs that we know today. Ugga the first name was Hood's Old Dan, and he was given as a gift to Cecilia Seiler by a friend uh, Frank Hurd of Columbia, South Carolina. He made his first debut at the first football game of the 1956 season. Since then, the Siler family has provided every single white bulldog named Ugga for the university. A really, really cool tradition. The dogs were uh, actually wear custom-made jerseys. These jerseys are created at the beginning of each season for the dog, and then after the jerseys are retired and worn down, they are destroyed. Now, some of the people might worry about the Bulldog being in a Southern football uh, university in that Southern sun. After all, football season does start in August and it can get very, very hot. But don't worry, don't fret. Aga has his own personal air-conditioned doghouse on the field where he can take refuge from the heat. Now, one thing I really love is that they have a special ceremony as uh, known as the passing of the collar, and this is used to initiate the newest Ugga as the mascot with a chant from the crowd that has been repeated since Ugga the first, damn good dog. <laughs> now, one other thing I really love is that the dogs each have an epitaph over their graves, and I'm going to read each one of them. It's, it's really cool. For Ugga the first, of course, it was damn good dog. Ugga the second, not bad for a dog. Ugga the third, how about this dog? Ugga the fourth, the dog of the decade. Ugga the fifth, Nation's best college mascot. Now, there's even a famous picture and video of Ugga the Fifth. I actually, I remember this as a kid, uh, where Ugga the Fifth lunged at Auburn wide receiver Robert Baker after he scored a touchdown in 1996. Now, Ugga the Sixth says a big dog for a job, and he handled it well. Ugga the Seventh, gone too soon. Unfortunately, Ugga the Seventh died of heart failure. Ugga the Eighth, he never had a chance, is the epitaph, because Unfortunately, he was diagnosed and passed away from canine lymphoma. Kind of sad it is. Uh, but then there was Ugga the Ninth, and it says he endeared himself to the Georgia people. His dedication to duty when called upon was exemplary. Ugga the Tenth, he's still alive, but retired, so there's no epitaph. And then, of course, there is the current Ugga the Eleventh, who's now representing the University of Georgia. The answer to today's trivia question... What dog breed is considered the first dog bred in the United Kingdom? Well, a few dogs could actually make this claim, but according to research done by Julian Calder and Alistair Bruce, whose book is a compilation of the oldest of everything throughout the British Isles, the Welsh Terrier is going to take the crown. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in, and thank you for coming along on my cruise and my vacation with me. We'll be back in the studio next week, back at WOUF Studios. Join me then. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, go ahead and click that subscribe or follow button. New episodes come out every single Wednesday. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor. Scroll on down, click that five-star rating, leave me a review, let me know what you're thinking. Only going to help the podcast grow even more. You can find me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. Check out the YouTube channel at Speak a Dogcast, and become a patron of the show today at Patreon 
patreon.com slash speakingdogcast. I would love to thank my patrons, my pup supporters, Regula Wright and Jill Norenberg, and my dog friend, Maureen Crossan. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.